Hi, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical, non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. This episode is part two of a three-part series that I led for the Everwell community over Zoom in 2021. You'll learn impactful, budget-friendly ways that will help you detox your indoor air, dust, and hands. I also teach a few important concepts that you should know about toxic exposures from the products that you use at home. For example, you'll learn about the unintentional compounds that can be created from chemicals in our home and their unintentional chemistry, which can create unintentional health effects. These concepts should motivate you to keep integrating detox tweaks into your life and remind you how small changes can transform. Remember that this podcast is an audio recording of a home detox workshop that I designed for a beginner. This workshop introduces you to my home detox workbook, which contains checklists to improve your indoor air, dust, hands, water, and sleep quality. While the Home Detox Workbook is available worldwide on Amazon, you can also use a notebook to record tips that you hear. In this conversation, you'll hear me share important details that I record in my workbook to help me organize my research on buying the best products that I can buy, like what to look for in water filters and air filters. You'll also hear me refer to a presentation and screenshots that I created for this workshop series. If you would like to watch this workshop series with the presentation, which I find highly informative, then visit my website at www.ruanliving.com. If you're not already an email subscriber, please join my email list by texting the word DETOX, spelled D-E-T-O-X, to the number 66866. Once again, you can join my email list by texting the word DETOX to the number 66866. I'd love to hear your questions and feedback, so feel free to email me by simply replying to my email newsletters or send me a direct message on Instagram at Ruan Living. I hope you find this episode empowering. We can get started and be respectful of everybody's time. We're thrilled to welcome all of you to part one of Everwell's Home Detox Experience with the wonderful Sophia Ruan Goucher. You all know I'm Abby, not one of Everwell's co-founders. My partner, Lindsay, is here as well. So this two-part workshop series builds upon Sophia's speaker event. We're going to further explore reducing our toxic exposures and provide really the foundational essentials that we need for a practical, non-toxic, and healing lifestyle, benefiting our homes and our bodies and minds and the planet. So for part one of this workshop, we will be focusing on budget-friendly detox tips to improve our indoor air quality. And Sophia is going to lead us through some really practical and simple ways we can improve our indoor environment for cleaner air and dust. So without further ado, Sophia, I will pass it off to you to take it from here. Hi, everyone. Thanks for spending the next hour with me. I am so excited to empower you with tips that either cost nothing or very little at all, except for air filtration. I have four goals. One, I did design this to be helpful for a beginner who has the home detox workbook. However, if you don't have it, you will benefit from just taking notes in a notebook. 
And I hope it helps you appreciate the tips that I want you to go home and make. Three, I hope it provides interesting things for you to talk about with your family and friends because we do want to onboard those we live with. And it should provide informational building blocks that will create perspective to uh, empower your informed common sense and intuition to avoid toxic chemicals. I did receive questions that I have embedded throughout the presentation. Real quickly, as you maybe want to sign in, a quick poll. It asks, which answer below best describes your familiarity with chemicals and heavy metals in our consumer products? 56% say, I'm just getting started. Great. 44% said, I've already been learning about this, but feel like I have a lot more to learn. Okay, great. So I want to give you perspectives. Again, which I said at the first event, since World War II, more than 84,000 chemicals have been introduced into American commerce. The EPA has been able to require safety testing for about 200. Less than 1% are regulated. And each country has its own story. So here is a screenshot from A to Z of detoxing. It shows how many chemicals were estimated to be registered with the list of countries. And they're listed in order from most to least. So the European Union has 143,000 chemicals that were registered in 2015 when A to Z of detoxing was published. You see the United States at 84,000. And it goes down to Taiwan, China, Korea, Australia, the Philippines, Canada, and Japan at less than 21,000. Experts who are informed in this area recognize that these numbers probably underestimate the chemicals used or that are circulating in each country and that no one really knows the true number. I want to make the point that we are all interconnected by this. How other countries approach chemicals and heavy metals is relevant to us because some chemicals are so persistent that they are expected to be on our planet for decades and some for at least a century. They will travel the world through wind, water, our consumer products, our food supply and drinking water, and even the bottom of our shoes. Even chemicals that were banned decades ago are found in our house dust and food supply. But since consumer products and even our food supply have become an international endeavor, we also invite these international approaches towards chemicals and heavy metals into our homes and bodies through what we buy. These chemicals and heavy metals are upsetting, but it helped me to realize that they often serve a purpose too. These chemicals and heavy metals create effective, durable, nice-looking components of our homes. They make up our walls, our floors, our pipes, our windows, our roofing materials, building insulation, and how we furnish, decorate, and clean. They also make up our toys and kitchenware and beauty products and personal care products and our technology. So today, again, we're focused on air, dust, and hands. And our next workshop will cover water filtration and sleep, which introduces EMFs. I'm going to be talking about checklists throughout this workshop and just to clarify they exist in the Home Detox Workbook. Alternatively, if you don't have either, just use a notebook. In the beginning of the checklist, I talk about a structured approach. It has five cornerstones. 
One is observing your elimination diet, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Second, we'll talk about conducting a love test. Three, there are strategies to reduce your risks to the things that you know are risky, but you still love or need. And then four is tips on evolving your mindset. And five is celebrating your progress. These will be helpful in having a practical non-toxic lifestyle that lasts over your lifetime. So there is a section that talks about your elimination diet. And this lists a bunch of symptoms that I gathered from something called sick building syndrome. And sick building syndrome is described for symptoms that appear or disappear in different spaces. They can include headaches, irritation of the eye, nose and throat, dry cough, dry or itchy skin, and the other ones listed here. It's valuable to record in the beginning of your detox the symptoms that are relevant for you. Any symptoms that aren't listed on the list, just add them. Because over time, as you eliminate a toxic exposure and then are maybe reintroduced to it, if you're like on an airplane or in a hotel, you can notice cause and effect relationships. For example, when I went fragrance-free, I didn't notice any changes for a while. And then after being fragrance-free, which took me like a year to really go through all the fragrance products in my home... I later would notice when I was on an airplane near the bathroom with strong fumes from the cleaning products, or when I was in a hotel, I would notice symptoms get triggered, like stuffy nose, itchy eyes, like weird sensations in my chest. And I thought, this used to be my normal. I didn't even realize that they went away, but when they got triggered when I was in a commercial space... I then realized, oh, these are symptoms I get when I'm around fumes from cleaning products and probably fragrance. I also layered in symptoms associated with this thing called multiple chemical sensitivity. I just want to introduce that there are also symptoms related to electro hypersensitivity, which I'll talk more about next time. Again, the workbook helps or any notebook you want to use to track cause and effect relationships you notice. I did want to point out that electromagnetic hypersensitivity and multiple chemical sensitivity are controversial. It's not necessarily medically accepted by some authorities like the World Health Organization, but there are scientists around the world that are urging that a high and growing number of persons are suffering from these symptoms or these conditions, and that they're being found in women, men, and children. I just want to remind you that even more recently with COVID-19, there's still controversy about whether wearing masks will help save lives. This is a pattern. It can take us as a human family a really long time to listen to what science proves. I want to just quickly touch upon the idea that home can participate in our healing. An excellent resource is this book, Healing Spaces, The Science of Place and Well-Being. You can listen to my podcast with the author, Dr. Esther Sternberg, in episode 18 of my Practical Non-Toxic Living 
podcast. However, before our home can participate in our healing, we need to detox it. We'll do a second poll. It asks, did you know that your physical space can participate in your health, well-being, and healing? You're ahead of where I was. 89% said yes. 11% said no. Great. Okay, let's dive in to our indoor air. The US EPA has estimated that indoor air tends to be at least two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. We're going to explore the things we can easily change that pollute our indoor air. I'm going to take the time to focus on fragrance. In A to Z of detoxing, I describe it as a household repeat offender because it's present in a surprising number of products and environments. And there are a lot of lessons to learn from fragrance. Fragrance is a general term that can contain dozens, even hundreds of chemicals. Manufacturers are not required to disclose all ingredients in fragrance, and most do not. Manufacturers are not required to ensure that fragrance ingredients are safe. Too many fragrance ingredients have been found to be toxic. So reading product labels to avoid fragrance is a high-impact strategy. Doing this will eliminate many risky products. To drive this home more, I'm going to share highlights from one of many articles on the hazards of fragrance. This article that is titled Indoor Air Quality, Scented Products Emit a Bouquet of Volatile Organic Compounds, or VOCs, was published in the peer-reviewed journal Environmental Health Perspectives in 2011. And the first paragraph says, a survey of selected scented consumer products show that products emitted more than 100 VOCs, including some that are classified as toxic or hazardous by federal laws. Even products advertised as green, natural, or organic emitted as many hazardous chemicals as standard ones. Products that were tested include air fresheners, laundry detergents, fabric softeners, dryer sheets, disinfectants, dish detergents, all purpose cleaners, soaps, hand sanitizers, lotions, deodorants, and shampoos. And many of the products tested are top sellers in their category. Later on in this article, it says a single fragrance in a product can contain a mixture of hundreds of chemicals, some of which react with ozone and ambient air to form dangerous secondary pollutants, including formaldehyde. So I want to make the point that unintentional fumes or other types of unintentional byproducts can be created when two different exposures combine. This idea that unintentional chemistry can occur from what off-gasses in our homes is why continued detox tweaks over your lifetime can relieve you of many risks. In this example, we read about chemicals from fragrance combining with ambient air to create the unintentional byproduct of formaldehyde, which is a human carcinogen. But remember that just the single ingredient fragrance can contain up to hundreds of chemicals. So the possible unintentional byproducts that can be created from the unintentional chemistry that can occur from fragrance ingredients is a lot. The Consumer Product Safety Commission which regulates cleaning supplies, air fresheners, and laundry products, 
currently does not require manufacturers to disclose any ingredients on the label, including fragrances in these products. The same is true for fragrances and personal care items. So I want to highlight four lessons that I want you to remember from our dive into fragrance. One, it's hard to know what's in our products. Two, there are often many ingredients in our products, many chemicals. Three, there can be many hidden ingredients, including some hidden ingredients that are harmful, which I'll talk more about in the next slide. And last, these ideas apply to many household products. So I wanted to dive more into harmful hidden ingredients. This same article says the average number of VOCs emitted from the products tested was 17. Each product emitted one to eight toxic or hazardous chemicals, and about 44% generated at least one of 24 carcinogenic hazardous air pollutants. These hazardous air pollutants have no safe exposure level, according to the U.S. EPA. There's one report that estimated that there are more than a thousand chemicals currently used in fragrance that are dangerous or risky. Quickly, I just wanted to show some health issues that have been associated with chemicals in fragrance. Some include feminization of U.S. male babies, respiratory distress, central nervous system depression, diarrhea and ear aches in infants and a lot more going down to include even cancer. I'll pause here. This seemed like a good time to respond to a question I received about cleaning supplies. Are there specific brands that you recommend? What indoor cleaners do you recommend that aren't dangerous to inhale? So this is a complicated question for me to answer for many reasons we just reviewed. So I'll respond to this question as I summarize the key points I'd like to make from diving deep into fragrance, because the three main points that I'm going to make apply to cleaning products and other household products. We're seeing from the highlights of the article on VOCs from fragrance, how complex just the single term fragrance in a product label can be. Dozens or hundreds of chemicals can be found in fragrance alone, and we don't know which chemicals are in just the single-term fragrance. So it might be impossible to know which products are truly safe. And that labels like green, natural, or organic can misrepresent the safety of products makes it really hard to know which products are safe. Toxic or risky ingredients are often present. And remember, again, the unintentional byproducts from unintentional chemistry. This idea of the unexpected chemistry that can occur from what off-gasses in our homes is why we should be mindful during our lifetime to detox what we can. I want to point out that not all fragrance formulas are necessarily harmful, but it's hard to know which ones are safe because there isn't full disclosure of what's in our products. Sophia, jump in there for a moment. Question about essential oils and are essential oils safe? They are often described as a non-toxic fragrance. There are lots of reports of aromatherapy benefits in the book Healing Spaces by that wonderful scientist, Dr. Esther Sternberg. She talks about essential oils. 
I do want to point out though, that generally there's never a black and white response. For example, there are reports that lavender essential oil may be a hormone disruptor. And if you have baby boys, you may want to be especially careful because some studies indicate that lavender can disrupt the development of baby boys. And we actually just don't know how they might affect baby girls. Females are just harder to study. But with boys, for example, there have been birth defects related to their male reproductive area that are really visible when they're born, like the whole of the penis is in the wrong place. That birth defect has grown rapidly and it's being associated with phthalates and fragrance. It might be associated with lavender essential oil. We don't really know. So you should be aware that they are powerful, even though they're natural they are powerful. And I would be conservative about children's exposures and especially babies. Generally, the younger the life, the more conservative you want to be. But I use them in my home. I was scared to use them for a long time. And then I started meeting people who really benefited significantly from essential oils. And then I got more relaxed about using them around my kids. But they're older too. I didn't some when they were younger. Thank you. Okay. The third poll, have you already been avoiding fragrance? About half of you have been avoiding fragrance, which is great. I am often very surprised where I continue to find fragrance. My biggest challenge has been trying to find garbage bags that do not have chemicals that add fragrance or chemicals that mask fragrance. Okay, I received a question. If a spray product passes the love test and one decides to keep it, is there a safer way to use it? The answer is yes. Opening your windows before you use it and during your use of it and leaving it open for some time is great. You do want to think about ventilation, but also just be aware that when you spray anything, and we'll talk about this later, but when you spray, a chemical formula, the chemicals are dispersed into the air and then you can inhale it more easily. I guess I'll just get into this now, but if chemicals are inhaled, they can be absorbed through your air passageways, absorbed through your lungs, and then they can circulate through your body maybe more quickly. How it really affects us depends on the chemical. We haven't studied most chemicals, so it's just more risky. So I'm really thoughtful about what spray products I have, which powdered products I have for the same reason. And again, the idea that there can be unintentional byproducts from unintentional chemistry is a, another reason to have a higher threshold for the love test when you audit your stuff for spray and powder products, which is the second checklist in the air detox section. I wanted to make the point about the form and route of exposure matters. When I was pregnant with my first child, for about four to six months during my pregnancy, most every night, my husband and I had microwave popcorn because I thought it was a healthy snack. And I was so well-intentioned and being really healthy. So it crushed me when years later, I learned that there's a chemical in the butter flavoring of microwave popcorn 
that can be toxic when inhaled. And I later learned that this chemical had been understood to be safe, but it was studied as a solid form that is ingested, that is eaten. And this chemical diacetyl is in many other artificial flavorings. This is from the CDC. This diacetyl was later found because factory workers who were working with diacetyl and maybe like microwave popcorn, but they were inhaling diacetyl as a fume, they started to get what's called as popcorn lung disease. It really upset me because I had a baby in my belly and no one has really studied how it would affect a fetus. And so I'm just trying to make the point that it's complicated to know how chemicals may affect us. It can be studied in one form, like a solid that's eaten, and then later be learned that when you inhale it and it's in a different form absorbed by your body in a different way, that it has a different effect. I'll use another example. Last week, we talked about how hand sanitizer can increase absorption of BPA. So in this screenshot of an article from Newsweek, I highlight that BPA absorbed this way through the skin lasts longer in the blood and isn't immediately processed by the liver in the same way as when it is ingested. So this is just an example of what I was talking about, that the form and route of toxic exposures is complicated and not studied enough. So I share this just to, again, create a higher threshold for when you conduct the love test. And I want to also make the point that one exposure can make you more vulnerable to another. So again, from the same article from Newsweek about the hand sanitizers, I highlight that hand sanitizers, as well as other cosmetic products like hand lotions, can contain chemicals that make the skin more permeable to various substances. Hand sanitizers could increase the absorption of BPA into the body by a factor of a hundred or more. That idea of one exposure possibly making you more vulnerable to another is a theme. There are many examples that I'll share throughout the eight pillars, but it's just another reason to have a high threshold for it, the love test and be conservative about what you have. I also want to reiterate a point I made at the first event about substitute chemicals. I talked about BPA-free products being not necessarily safer than products with BPA. Increasingly, there are more and more reports on this pattern. Here's a screenshot of a report, and I highlight how companies switch from a known hazardous chemical to one with similar properties and how regulators could stop them. This is a pattern with the diacetyl and microwave popcorn. It was later substituted and it was later found to also cause damage to our airways. In Agency of Detoxing, I have a chapter on our track records of substitutes. If you wanna read more about an overview and understanding this pattern will just help you be a savvier consumer. With all the greenwashing and the confusing product labels, this is just an important pattern to notice because then eventually, as I've been saying, you can just use your informed common sense to avoid risky products. Okay, poll number three. Do you usually ventilate when cooking? 
So 71% of you said yes, 29% say no. I actually observe many people not turning on ventilation when they cook. So I just want to make the point, the third checklist in air detox is on activities that pollute your indoor environment. And I want to make the point that our behavior can pollute. And anytime you're burning something, there's combustion, like you're cooking, you're burning candles, you're using your fireplace, it's more likely to release toxic byproducts. And in the checklist, when you are burning candles because it passes the love test or you're cooking or using the fireplace, there are suggestions on how to improve indoor air quality to manage those risks. I want to just quickly make the point that dry cleaning can release toxic fumes. I don't know if you've heard of the chemical PERC. It's been well known that it's highly toxic, very persistent in our environment. The checklist on dry cleaning lists ways you can manage these risks. And if you start looking for healthier dry cleaners, just keep in mind the idea that substitute chemicals for PERC may not be safer. I've spent a lot of time trying to find healthier dry cleaners. It's complicated. That's why the notes section of the workbook can be really helpful for you to document what you really want to pay attention to, smarter questions to ask the next dry cleaner you talk to. But I did find that a new process described as green and non-toxic used a chemical that was created by a big chemical company. And it just Given our track record with substitutes, I just didn't feel like it was probably safer. So air filtration, I was asked, do you have a favorite air purifier? And I do. It's called IntelliPure. I've already written an article to detail my thought process for selecting IntelliPure. I also did a podcast with the co-founder, and he shows us with a meter, he compares the air quality coming out of IntelliPure and comparing it to the air quality coming out of two other really popular air filters. If you don't want to buy IntelliPure, though, there'll be information on key things to look for. Like you want to make sure that air purifier was designed for the square footage that you're actually filtering, and like how small the particles are that IntelliPure filters out. So you can compare with the different air filters. Are they filtering out particles as small as IntelliPure so that you can make an informed decision when you're shopping. And again, the notes section of the workbook is really helpful to document these details that will help you find the most effective air purifier for your budget. I thought this would be a good time to talk about a question I received about plants. The question is, are there specific plants I would recommend for the indoors and for air quality. How can plants help improve air quality? Are there any plants to avoid? So plants can detox air pollutants. However, you shouldn't rely on plants alone to filter your air because you need a lot of plants. They're supposed to be a lot within a few inches apart. So the number of plants you would need to effectively filter indoor air might lead you to feel like you're living in a greenhouse. But in the podcast 18, I mentioned with the author of Healing Spaces, we also talk about the healing benefits of plants. So even though you may not rely on them for air filtration, 
by visually seeing them, science has proved that when you see nature, whether a great view of trees outside or plants in your home or even pictures, it triggers feel-good healing hormones. I then got a question about allergies. The question is, my husband and daughter suffer from pretty extreme seasonal allergies, especially in the spring. This makes it difficult to open the windows and let in outdoor air. Any suggestions here? This is a great question. It's really important to be mindful of outdoor air quality, which should consider allergies, mosquitoes, other insects, and rain. Always be curious and use critical thinking when you're trying to decide, should I open my windows and let my home breathe? You are the best person to assess the risks and rewards of when to open your windows. You can use apps that help you assess allergens outside and maybe other outdoor air quality issues. And I believe I listed some in the checklist. What I do is I open windows during certain seasons. So the fall is a good time to frequently air out my home and times in the spring. But anytime I feel like it's a good opportunity, I take it because there's summer months where it's just too humid and hot to do so. I want to just point out that EMFs, they're like a modern type of air pollution. This is such a big topic that I introduce it in the sleep detox section, which I'll talk about in the next workshop. But one thing that is relevant to EMS is the idea that one exposure can make you more vulnerable to another. So for example, there are scientists who say that the radiation from our cell phones, for example, or maybe the Wi-Fi router or the cordless phone on your nightstand may weaken the blood-brain barrier which protects your brain from toxic compounds in your body. So that wireless radiation may weaken the blood-brain barrier, making your brain more vulnerable to toxic compounds. Episode 24 of the Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast is an excellent one to listen to. Again, helpful ways to use the notes section I would use it to document things I want to remember about air filters. Also, there's new and better products coming to market all the time. And that's why there's certain things I want to know, like how small the particles are filtered and how many square feet, so that when I hear about a new and better product someone loves, I can quickly compare the key metrics that matter to me. And if you love air fresheners, and you eventually find one that's a relatively safe one, you maybe want to write that down. Same with candles. And as you do your research for dry cleaners, there are details that you'll want to remember. The workbook can be handy to just like staple or clip on the vetted shopping list because usually we don't shop alone. For example, your husband, if you have one or partner or roommate, might help you punished household products. I spent a lot of time researching my products and I, it's hard to remember all of them because for example, I love Castile soap, but one scent will be really non-toxic, but another scented product of the same line will be more toxic. So I just want to remember which one is the safest one. 
Sophia, can I interrupt there for one second? Because we know you share this with Lindsay and me that if you don't have something nice to say about a brand, you won't talk about it. (laughs) But on the topic of the Castile soap, are there some brands that you do like to talk about or endorse besides obviously the IntelliPure? We also had a question of if you like the blue air purifier on that same topic. I haven't heard of the blue air purifier. My favorite Castile soap is Dr. Bronner's, but I've never tried another brand. And Dr. Bronner's, the peppermint scent and the baby mild, I think get an A rating from the environmental working group in terms of the toxicity. But there are other scents by Dr. Bronner's that don't have an A. And this is a pattern among products. So that's why I like to document my favorite products. It's very specific. And the Environmental Working Group, that's the ewg.org. That's a super helpful resource where people can check. With dust, I just wanted to make the point that it's not just about dirt, but there are things like arsenic and lead and phthalates, which are hormone-disrupting chemicals and toxic chemical flame retardants that are found in our dust. So they're pretty serious things. And unlike outdoors, they can break down more easily through sun, wind, and water. Indoors, we don't have those elements that can help break them down. So they tend to collect in carpets and rugs. So keeping that in mind, do the love test as you look at your carpets and rugs when you're thinking about buying new ones. There's just three checklists in the detox dust section, and they focus on three goals. One, reduce the dust that enters. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. And then two, there are tips to help you minimize trap dust. And three, there are tips to help you clean effectively. You can revisit this article, but it's an interesting article or report on how to reduce toxic dust in your home. This report estimates that about 30 to 40% of the contaminants inside your home are brought in from outdoors. On the second screenshot in the orange, I thought it was kind of fun to read. The first four steps you take inside your front door bring in close to 85% of the outdoor contaminants found inside your home. And this report lists more details on how to set up the entrance of your home to really reduce the toxic things you bring in from the bottom of your shoes. A doormat study by the EPA found that when a doormat was used and shoes were not worn, lead dust and other chemicals in the home were reduced by about 60%. So simple idea, but so impactful. In the notes section, in the workbook or in your notebook, I would document details on your vacuum cleaner, like a HEPA filter is the best way to go. But document like how small the particles are that a HEPA filter can filter out because there are other products that say they can be more effective than HEPA. I like to document which replacement filters because there are just so many for so many different models of vacuum cleaners. It's confusing. There are also details on what to look for in doormats. And there are also details on when you do use carpets and rugs, the best things to look for in terms of like the pile. And again, you might want to create a list of vetted products that you like. It can take a long time to figure out carpets and rugs made of healthier fibers. 
So therefore, I needed to remember what I was supposed to be looking for. And of course, motivating data is helpful. How often do you vacuum and dust your apartment or home? It depends. So in my city apartment, it gets a lot more dusty than in my country home. And there's certain parts of my apartment that get more dusty than others. So I prioritize by one, high traffic areas, like near the entrance, but also where children and others spend a lot of time. So maybe the family room and kitchen. And then I also prioritize by where there seems to be a lot more dust accumulation. So I do find that when there are a lot of electronics, those areas tend to have more dust and electronics are made of plastics and they're made of chemical flame retardants. So those are high impact areas to clean. I'm going to zip through hands detox. Really washing your hands addresses so many toxicants. Researchers who study chemical flame retardants, hormone disrupting chemicals, heavy metals, often the tip is wash your hands. This is so important with children and it can be a full-time job because they still don't remember. And they're often touching the most dusty parts of the home, especially the younger they are. They're crawling on floors and they seem to like to crawl into dusty corners and under the bed. Some easy tips to identify safer soaps and lotions are, again, read the product label for fragrance. It really filters out most risky products. And then also just look at the color. If it looks like an artificial orange, blue, purple, green, it's made of artificial colors. And then therefore the ingredients are risky. So again, this just sets a higher bar for what passes the love test. This report by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences recommends keeping dust levels down, wash your hands, and those of your children often also good ventilation, which we discussed. These are parts of A to Z of detoxing that also help you be just more intuitively savvy because with all the chemicals out there, we can't research every chemical, every product. We need informed common sense and informed intuition. In the notes section, I would want to keep details on the soaps I like, the lotions I like, because I can share that easily with others who buy things for my home. And I just wanted you to know that, again, Pillar 5 focuses on self-care, and I'll talk more about how to detox your products and the products I use and why and what you should know. In summary, We have a lot of influence over what we buy, own, and do. I hope you now have a better appreciation for why small detox tweaks can transform over your lifetime. Last question I got, do you turn Wi-Fi off at night? I do. And if you can, I recommend it because you won't miss it when you're sleeping. That's very helpful. Sophia, thank you so much for this awesome workshop. So much info to absorb. I cannot wait to dive in. Thank you all so much. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Chris Robertson for creating my podcast music and you for tuning in. For podcast show notes, visit my blog at www.ruanliving.com. To more easily listen to new practical non-toxic living episodes, then please subscribe. If you'd like to support it, please like it and share it.
Until next time.